We are continuing in our Acts series, and I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes from Acts chapter 15, verses 22 to 26. Please give your full uninvited attention to the reading of God's holy word. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. At this time, let's give our attention to the preaching of God's holy word. Thank you for the reading of God's word. I am very tempted to extend our greeting time with jumping jacks and warm hugs. Thank you for being here on this Sunday. It is always an honor, really one of uh, God's great gifts that we get to worship together and hear from his word. We're continuing to the book of Acts. This is part two. The question that was raised last week, which we're going to continue to unpack, how were decisions made by the early disciples of Jesus and how should we? Okay. How were decisions made by that first Christian church in Acts and how should we? We looked at three templates. Lots were cast in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 6, a local congregational meeting was held, which ours will take place on February 5th. Third, Acts chapter 15, our passage today, a larger, broader assembly of all the apostles and elders were gathered. It was called the Jerusalem Council. Now, here is the running theme and result, and I would say, the driving mission of the Holy Spirit, which would indicate from all three examples and all the other significant decisions running through the book of Acts, that it was a good, godly, wise decision. Here's the theme. This is the result. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Pay attention to, uh, pay attention to this. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is repeated and highlighted because the Holy Spirit loves to spread and expand the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's number one mission is to exalt, center, and to glorify the name, the person, the worth and the work of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, as a result of many decisions that were made throughout the book of Acts, the result should be the word of God or the word of the gospel continue to expand and increase. Now, on a practical note, this is where we want to begin as a way of review from last week and into part two. In all the decisions that you think about or pray through, or you may be at a standstill, does it ever factor in that your agenda, your motive, your main drive 
Does it have anything to do with the spread of the name and the work of Jesus? And if so, rest assured, you are being led, moved, guided, walking with, or filled by the Holy Spirit of God. So I do want to begin here. That if your drives and your decisions, when it revolves around this verse, this verse, in the entirety of your life, rest assured, it is the activity and the leading of the Holy Spirit. All right. So, on a more practical basis, what directions must we learn toward making better decisions? Last week, we learned two Ds, real quick, by review. The first D was detox. Detox. Just as your body reacts and revolts to an unhealthy physical diet, so does your mind, so does your soul, so does your psyche, so do your feelings, so does your heart. That which we should be consuming the most as Christian believers and followers, the word of God and the life of the church, we have flipped the pyramid of wisdom upside down. We consume social media and the internet much more than the word of God. And just like our physical bodies, this leaves you feeling nauseous, anxious, nervous, confirmation bias fragmentation, and sick. Detox, detox. Less of social media and the internet, much more of that which really gives you life. Mind, body, and soul. Second D. The second D was develop a biblical worldview. What I mean by that is, do you know what God thinks? Do you know how God thinks? Do you know why God gets to that conclusion? We must learn the Bible regularly, intelligently, contextually, practically to gain the frame of mind that God has, to see and view and feel about the world the way that God does because this is foundational. There's no substitute to it in order to get to making better decisions. All right. So, first two Ds. Here's the third today. Just two more. The third, devotion. Devotion. Devotion to what? Oh, we just sang about it so beautifully. Devotion to knowing, loving, obeying, following, and becoming more like Jesus. A devotion to Jesus. I listen. If you really want to know what God wants from you, if you really want to know what God wants you to do in a particular scenario in which the scriptures are not explicit, there are a million different scenarios in which the scriptures are not black and white. It's not specifically clear. And you may wonder, well, how do I know what God wants me to do? Well, let's begin with, you will better discern what God wants you to do in those apparently unclear situations if you do what God wants you to do in those very clear black and white situations. In other words, we read from Romans chapter 12 last week. We need to be transformed, not conformed to the patterns of the values and the thinking and the system of this world. We need to be sanctified and transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So how would you and I better discern what is the will of God? What does God want from you? It would take for you and I to live according to his plain and revealed will in all the other situations of life. So for instance, God wants you and your family to regularly worship him. To set apart a Sabbath day to worship him. Jesus wants you to always be praying. Did you know that? There's an art to that, to always be praying, even in the busyness in the majority of our life, which takes place at work, to be somewhat mindful or conscious or to be murmuring from your heart, to have a constant conversation where you know you are in the presence of God, even while you may do some tiresome things, even while you may nurse your child. All of that, God wants for you to be in constant communion and contact with him. How? Through prayer. Then it says, it's God's will or what he wants for you is to be always to be thankful, grateful. God also wants you to be plugged in, really plugged into a life of a local church and to be serving his people and to serve people who are in need. So many who are in need right now post-COVID and throughout the world. God wants you to be forgiving your enemies. We pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Did you know that's what God wants for you? That's his will for you? Are you forgiving your enemies? Are you practicing self-control? His will for you is your sanctification, that you abstain from all sexual immorality. And by the way, to be a Christian does not mean repression, like a starvation diet when it comes to any of your sexual desires. Also, it does not mean rampant indulgence. Oh, never mind. Everyone's doing it. It's just, it's just like my physical appetite. When I'm hungry, I got to go eat. No, 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 no. The scriptures tell you that there is a way to be fulfilled and satisfied without sexual immorality in a way that Jesus was. For Jesus was fully human. I assure you he had sexual, physical desires. And yet he, he was perfectly satisfied. So, I just listed off several things, didn't I? But here's my point. Pastor, I just want to know what God tells me or what he wants me to do. Well, are you doing what he wants you to do in all of the other areas in which God's will or his desire for you is plain? Now, you see, this kind of devotion to Jesus. See, that is a characteristic of your life. And if you're not doing that, I'm not up here to try to make you feel bad. No, 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 no. There is no one better who will take you back right now. There's no one better who will pick you up because you've fallen so many times. There's no one more tender, more faithful, and forgiving for you. Start to walk with him again. And when you walk with him and you get closer and closer and closer to him, this is one of the best determining factors as to how you can discern what decisions you should make. You see, devotion to Jesus is much more reliable than I feel peace in my heart. Now, that is an enormous, wonderful thing is to feel peace in your heart. I want peace in my heart when I make significant decisions. 
But I want to tell you, being close and devoted to Jesus is more reliable than that. Couple examples. Have there not been times where you were completely outside the will of God, where you might be tempted and actually just willfully, intentionally, habitually sinning, and you felt pretty much at peace. There's a lot of times in which what God wants you to do may not bring about this wonderful, emotional, internal sense of like oneness or peace or nirvana. Let's take the example of Jesus. What if Jesus paid attention to the internal subjective emotions of his heart? Do you really think he would have gone to the cross? Do you really think Jesus would have fully obeyed his father? He was a mess. He was a wreck. There was no peace in his heart. But in full obedience, he met his own death. What I'm saying here is not that peace in your heart is bad or unreliable altogether. What I am saying is devotion to Jesus, my friends. Just like if you have a close spouse or a BFF or someone you are very, very intimate with. You begin to know and to discern what that person thinks, how that person would react, or what that person would decide. Devotion to Jesus, my friends, is more reliable than peace in my heart. A second scenario. Devotion to Jesus moves you past open versus closed doors. Some of you think God's will must be for me the last remaining available option. I'm going to suggest to you that might not be the best way to go. If you think God's will is just always about, well, I mean, he shut door number one, he shut door number two, he shut door number three. Therefore, door number four is still open. That must be what God wants me to do. Well, practically, circumstantially, I can see that is a factor. However, however, once again, God's wanting or will for you moves you past open versus closed doors. Take the instance of Apostle Paul. A lot of times what God wants you to do may not be easy, may not be convenient. It may require self-sacrifice. It may actually ask of you to bash down that closed door. Devotion to Jesus. Devotion to Jesus. Fourth, D. Last one, and then we get to some practical counsel. Fourth, D. Deliberation and confirmation. So we got detox, develop a biblical worldview, devotion to Jesus. Fourth, D. Deliberation and confirmation. Acts chapter 15. Pastor D. Penn read it. There's at least a couple times in our passage and following our verses, there's this phrase that sounds um, so not sensational. It sounds so non-spiritual. It sounds uh, so common sense. What does it say? It seemed good to us. <laughs> and one of the greatest controversial, divisive threats to the early church at the Jerusalem council, when all the apostles and elders got together, they deliberated, deliberated, deliberated together. <clears throat> you must have an open, honest, humble exchange both ways. And then at the conclusion of this matter, they wrote a letter. 
And they just said, it seemed good to us. Now, what is this suggesting? What may often seem most non-spiritual is actually the very thing that the Spirit of God uses. You know, mind you, this is the Spirit of God leading the early church to this conclusion back when the Holy Spirit had just been poured out. People were standing up and giving prophecy in the public setting, like Agabus. If you have charismatic friends, I've gone through charismatic experiences. I benefit a lot from them. But you want to talk about if there was any day and age where the church should be more open to Holy Spirit directly speaking and guiding his people, it should be right here. And yet, they concluded with what seems to be a non-spiritual reasoning behind their decision It seemed good to us. What is this? It means that this is the way God led the early church. And oftentimes this is the way God leads his church now. I let me call it a collective godly sixth sense. A collective godly sixth sense. Do you have it? Don't you want it? Do you even know if you have it or you don't have it? And certainly, don't you want it in people around you? A collective, godly sixth sense where you can conclude together safely. It seemed good to us. And what seems good to us is actually what God wants. And that is his will for you. You know, how can you really tell? We're all so self sabotaging really self-deluded we can trick ourselves so often so how can you tell hey pastor look how do i know if i'm seeking god's will or just projecting and imposing my own here's one safeguard proverbs chapter 12 verse 15 the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man listens to advice the way of a fool a fool thinks he or she is I'm right. I assume I'm right. I have all the facts together. I have all the data. I've concluded it correctly all the way to the end. Hmm? That's the way of a fool. But to listen to, be utterly open to multiple advisors, counselors, or perspectives is a way of the wise man. Better decisions usually emerge when individual and community, community leadings converge. Let me say that again. Usually, better godly decisions are made when my individual impressions or dreams or visions or thoughts or intuitions. Okay? Again, I don't care if you're the Christian who emphasizes the Holy Spirit or gifts or not. Fine. But how do you make any decisions then when the Bible is not clear? You follow, right, some intuition or some rationale or some thinking or some cost-benefit analysis. Do you not? When your individual leadings or conclusions converge with a Holy Spirit-filled, godly community with much prayer. Another example, Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That's verse 2. 
This guards against institutionalism. This guards against a, an authoritarian government. This guards against an abusive culture in which there is no individual thought. Don't you see that in the verse? When the early church was deciding who should be sent or who should be set apart, the Holy Spirit had to speak to them while they were worshiping and fasting. No human being should try to usurp or take over the role of the Holy Spirit. No human being should have to micromanage in detail and get into every nook and cranny of your life and almost take away the role or the leading of the Holy Spirit. This guards against institutionalism and abuse. Look at verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, now notice again, there are prerequisites here. Worshiping, fasting, praying. Devotion to Jesus. Like that's just assumed. After fasting and praying, they, the apostles, laid their hands on and sent them off. What is that last verse guarding against? Rampant individualism. Hey, if there were ever an apostle, a missionary, a pastor, a speaker, a theologian, a writer, a traveler that could have self-appointed himself, it was Paul. How come Paul didn't go around the other church and say, hey, it's me. No need to worship fast. I appoint myself. I am the leader. I'm going to be at the forefront. I'll go. No. This last verse guards against rampant self-determination, individualism. How so? All absorbed in the atmosphere, the practice of devotion to Jesus in worship, in prayer, in being close to him. couple notes on prayer. Did you know that when you pray, you're not seeking to change the mind of God? It's okay if you do that, but you're not going to get many answers that way. Can I suggest you a better way to pray? When you pray, you're not seeking to change the mind of God. You're asking God to cleanse and clarify and change yours. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They prayed so that, Lord, we just want to match and conform and decide what you've already decided. Second note on prayer. There are some people who say, oh, well, pastor, when I have to decide this, I'm going to go and pray about it. Don't worry about me. Leave me alone. All right. But why do you think that when you go pray about it and God tells you something as a result of your prayer, why wouldn't other biblically minded, loving and wise Christians, why wouldn't you invite other people to pray about it and want to hear what God told them? Individual leadings and community leadings converge. Most likely, those are better decisions. All right, detox. Develop a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview with biblical values, culture, system, results. And the result is usually not to your benefit or profit. Third, Devotion to Jesus. Devotion to Jesus. Fourth, fourth, deliberation and confirmation. Let me just give you some practical counsel here as we close. All right? Practical counsel. Therefore, number one, 
You should choose your counselors carefully. You should choose who you really listen to. Hmm? You should choose whose voice influences you most. You should choose those who are trustworthy, safe, Holy Spirit filled. Look at Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. <laughs> I, I can't even begin to tell you the totally undeserved benefit and riches I felt almost the entire of my life. Even up until last night, someone just came over late. He's driving down San Diego, said, can, can, can I come over? I, I can't tell you how blessed I was last night over a two-hour conversation. Choose your counselors carefully. Look, if you're about to get married, you're about to get married, why would you only listen to the advice of people who've never been married? If you're dating someone, why would you only listen to people who've never ended up concluding that dating in marriage? Why wouldn't you want to listen to people who've been married five years, 15 years, 30 years? Because the perspective of real friends and real family in your life usually will let you see things past your present judgment and your present hormones. You know, on Thursday, I was on an online conference for Asian American mental health and happiness. And I learned again how all immigrant families, to one degree or another, in your family of origin, if you are an immigrant, second or third generation, there was trauma. Of course, there was trauma just to different degrees. Trauma, the loss of security, language, culture, job. Others of you, you are literally fleeing from physical violence and danger. And did you know that trauma that is not addressed and trauma that is really not talked about, trauma that is unresolved, just gets passed down? Did you know that, again, as Asian Americans who are so educated and successful, supposedly and affluent, up on top on the resume, but deep down inside, so what you might say, not healthy when it comes to happiness and health and love relationships. Why am I bringing this up? Because your pastor has been going through two or three years of recovery or counseling on this. And I'm so thankful for our church, our session and our staff and the council that I've been meeting. Please choose them carefully. I have never received for trauma or for deep hurts or wounds, or you might say mental and emotional health needs, the kind of counsel which comes back at me and says, well, Harold, what your problem is, is you should read the Bible and just pray more. Thank God I have not received counsel that is simplistic, moralizing, over-spiritualizing. Neither would I ever want you to receive counsel that is only for therapy and overly medicated remedies that completely dismisses the supernatural realm. Choose your counselors carefully. Number two, practical counsel. Comfort. Oh, who here doesn't need comfort? 
comfort for bad decisions. There is no way anybody in this room has never made a bad decision. You're looking at the guy that probably made maybe more. And you suffer from consequences of that. You're haunted by it. It might paralyze you even today. You have a hard time ever moving past that decision. You feel shame. Do you want to know how you know if you feel shame? Shame will always make you keep it a secret. Shame is why you don't want people to ask you questions about that area. Shame is that which makes you go private and solo. But do you not know Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you follow him? Do you obey him? Do you only become more like him? Do you not know that Jesus is far greater than all your bad decisions, even your worst? The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is he's not a divine consultant who came down so that you can make everything right. He is not a consultant to make sure you get everything right. He is a substitute savior and he's a redeemer when you get it dead wrong. Comfort. The gospel of Jesus, my friends, means that Jesus is not just an advisor. He's not just counsel, but he's our righteous advocate in heaven. A righteous advocate in the courtroom of heaven before God where all the laws are perfectly exacting and righteous and no one can hide or deflect or blame anyone else or defend themselves. But have you ever met an attorney or a consultant who all your life has advised you? Please don't do that. <laughs> I'm telling you, you should not do that. Let me tell you again, you're going down the wrong path. Please, with all of the wealth of my experience and wisdom and knowledge, in fact, I've seen all of history, please don't go down this road. And yet you go down that road. And then you make that poor decision. And then when you're suffering all the debt and the consequences and the haunting shame of what you did, here comes your counsel who says, I'll take it in your place. A defense attorney who advised you not to do what you did and yet suffers and dies in your place. And this righteous advocate in heaven says to his people, I will take all your bad decisions, all your haunting and traumatic ones, all the most consequential things you've ever done. You feel like you could never take it back. And somehow, I will twist it and turn it and redeem it, and I'm going to overrule it. I'm going to orchestrate it, and I'll turn it for your good. Romans 8, 28. Comfort 
for bad and even your worst decisions. My friends, if you are a son and daughter of God this day, no decision defines you. No decision can make or break you. No decision can follow you into eternity save the decision that Jesus is your Savior and God and Redeemer. That's the best decision you'll ever make, and you need to make it every day. Practical counsel. Choose your counselors carefully. Second, comfort for bad decisions. Last one, we're done. They all start with a C. Confidence to make better decisions. Confidence to make better decisions. Kevin DeYoung's book, I Save You All the Trouble. Yes, I used to do the Cliff Note stuff too. I love when authors say, so the summary of the conclusion, the end of the matter is this. This is all you need to know. You're welcome. You don't even have to read the book. This is it. Just do something. A liberating approach to finding God's will. Quote, so the end of the matter is this. Live for God. Obey the scriptures. Think of others before yourself. Be holy. By the way, none of this is perfection. Please (laughs) relax here. None of it is perfection. It's just progression. Always, always progression. You may feel like you're not progressing. Let me encourage you again today. It's okay. The grace and the love of God can handle it. Get back up. Get back up. Fight again. Be holy. Love Jesus. And as you do these things, do whatever else you like, with whomever you like, wherever you like, and you'll be walking in the will of God. What? Everyone in this room, you just want the last sentence. I want to do whatever I want with whomever I want, wherever I want, and I just want to do it. That's basically what the scriptures are telling you. You know what? There's certain type of people where God as a father turns to the son or the daughter and say, I trust you. Go ahead and do whatever you want. Because what you want is what the Father wants. What and how you think is how God thinks. What you value and desire is what God values and desires. Confidence to make better decisions. Confidence to make better decisions. It used to be with Taylor and Elizabeth, Sonny and I, more Sonny, way more than me. She's the superwoman. She's the super parent. She really is a linchpin behind the entire church. We still want to know everything that they're thinking or doing. They're always open with us. We're thankful for that. They would share everything with us, almost everything. Thank God for that. A lot of it is because they say they love this church. There's so many aunts and uncles and cousins and older brothers and sisters whom they just love. You know, to this day, they told me again last week, this is their favorite church. There's no better church ever. But Sonny and I, who used to intervene in a lot of decisions that they would make. I remember when Taylor was leaving for uh, college a couple years ago, I told her, you know, Taylor, dad's not going to give you unsolicited advice anymore. I'm not going to impose. I'm not going to interfere. Because I trust you. It's not because I trust her so much. I trust God working in her. Sonny and I do not 
cannot and should not intervene in all the decisions our growing daughters make. Why in the world do you think your father in heaven would have lesser and lower goals for you? A lot of people, oh God, I just, just tell me. Which job? Who should I marry? Should I invest or sell here? God, just tell me. Oh, at our session meetings, oh, I just wish you would just pierce through to a lightning bolt from the sky so our meeting could be so crystal clear. Oh, but my friends, what if, again, God's main goal in your life is that you would trust him and become more and more and more and more like Jesus? Making bad decisions, pretty good decisions, and then making the best decisions. Because you have a savior and a redeemer and a master. He's the one that always gets it right. He'll always get it right with you. Choose carefully. Comfort. Confidence to make better decisions ahead. Let me pray for us as we come to the table. Father in heaven, thank you for the riches, the power, the wisdom, the practicality of your word once again. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Please fill and shape and lead and mature our church community that we might offer better counsel, better comfort, gospel comfort, and instill more confidence and courage as we follow you, O Lord, and want to have the gospel of Jesus continue to increase and advance. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.